0: Welcome, we're Phil and Jen, and this is season 4 of our podcast and the season's called This New Space, and this is episode number 8 and it's called Recovering Racist with our new friend, Edelette McVicker. And uh Edelet is an amazing person. She just released a new book this year called Recovering Racists: Dismantling White Supremacy and Reclaiming Our Humanity. And This book and this conversation, and really her work in general, are so helpful if you're a white person trying to do the work of waking up, walking the path of becoming anti-racist. It's one thing to wake up. It's one thing to recognize the systemic racism that exists and um, all that that entails. And it's a whole other thing to keep going in that journey of um, helping to do the work of change, of transformation, both internally but also societally. And so... Um, that is the becoming an anti-racist part. And her story is wild because she is a white woman who grew up in South Africa in the apartheid era. And she tells of her experience as well as her own waking up when she was 16 in the 90s uh, and, and what that was like to recognize that level of systemic oppression and racism that was baked into the whole thing. that, that uh, it, it just rocked her and put her on a wild story of uh, leaving South Africa and um, living all over the world, ending up in Canada, and um, just this sort of trajectory of her own life and then the way she helps everyone walk through the trajectory of our lives and what's going on. It is powerful, and you're going to want to listen in. Um, she's, she's, like, she's like a new friend. Um,
1: I mean, I feel that way with pretty much all of our guests, but, yeah, there was such a connection with her. She just – you'll see – and you're, you're going to want to listen all the way through to the end just because there's so many nuggets of just wisdom and it was so helpful. But before we do that, uh, we have a few things going on and it's summertime. It feels like it. Yes, it is. We just had our first meetup uh, last weekend and it was so awesome. And we have another one coming up July 30th. So what are meetups? Meetups are, we just came up with this idea of like, what if we just get people together? And provide space for those who whose faith is expanding to connect and to process and to keep growing, and to have conversations around how do we live more meaningful lives? How do we create a more loving world? And as we experience more in our spiritual lives, I think a lot of us have, you know, questions and doubts, and people are just feeling weary and disillusioned with the status quo. And so I think, Many are sure of what they don't want, but they're still figuring out what they do and even feel kind of like spiritual nomads, like they don't really belong anywhere. And many are desiring to embody Christ and and hold on to Christ in their everyday lives, and they're finding that it's bigger and more inclusive than they they previously thought possible. And so our hope and our kind of vision for it is that we – are just providing the safe space to connect with others on a spiritual journey, to ask our questions, to share our doubts and our thoughts without judgment, and um, to process our faith lives. And really just also to set down the heaviness of the world for a moment and to have some tacos and some margaritas and have a good time. So that's what this space is all about, and we would love to have you there for the next one. That's July 30th. You can go to philandjenwood.com slash community to sign up for that one. So philandjenwood.com slash community. And... Love to see you there.
0: That will be in the Orange County, California area. And also something else that we're doing in the Orange County area as well. We're calling it Expansion Lab. And we're doing a free breath, work, heat, and cold, which is just sauna, ice bath, lunchtime workshop with like an integrated mind, body, spirit experience to reconnect you with the beat of your life. And if you want to find out what that means, well, you should come and find out. It's Wednesday, July 20th from 12.30 to 1.30. Spots are obviously limited, and if you're interested in that, you want to find out more, you want to have an integrated mind-body-spirit experience with some breath work and sauna and ice bath, um, hit us up by emailing us at hello at philandjenwood.com, and you can reserve a spot there. And now, for our conversation with our new friend, Ida
1: Well, welcome, Idolette, we're so glad that you're here with us. And thanks for being here. Did I say your name correctly? Because you said it once and I want to make sure. (laughs) Idilet. It's Idilet. (laughs) Idilet. Yeah. Idilet. Yeah. No problem. No problem. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. um, I'm going to read your bio just to start off, just to welcome you so that our listeners get a a feel of who you are. So... Ida is an author, the founder of She Loves Magazine and the Dangerous Women Community. She's a creative soul and a midwife for liberation, which I love that phrase. I love that one. Uh, She (laughs) believes that our liberation is connected to each other, and her work is in the realm of personal liberation, listening, asking questions, and holding space for inner transformation. And these are all things that uh, we're really passionate about as well. And so really excited to have you join us on the podcast.
1: Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Um, so would you start just by telling us a little bit of your story? Who are you? Where do you come from? And then how did you get into this liberation work?
2: Right. <laughs> just a few uh, things. Just <laughs> a small question. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So I was born and raised in South Africa. Um, I was born about an hour outside of Cape Town in a oh. beautiful town called Parle. And, um, but I was born right into a story um, and that history tells now is apartheid, was apartheid, mm-hmm. yeah. which meant um, the political, economic, physical, emotional, uh, spiritual segregation of people based on the color of our skin, right? It was a, um, the division and segregation of kind of down... Down into my soul, Mm. you know, and I didn't know it at the time, but, um, yeah, so that's the, that was the context I was born into the political context, but it affected me. And of course, as a white person, it affected me in a very small way, but, um, affected black indigenous people of color, like majorly. Right. Um, but that was the context. And so I grew up on the wrong side of justice,
3: Mm.
2: really, um, and so, on the wrong side of liberation. So I, I grew up with in a liberation movement, but we were the oppressors.
3: Wow.
2: We were the ones that people were trying to be liberated from, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, but that's not the story we tell ourselves, right? When you're, when you're that, um, and uh, it, it took me leaving South Africa. Oh, I mean, I, I guess it was the. Um, it, it, there was several steps along the way. Um, several steps along the way that kind of brought this liberation in. Um, Yeah. And that was really the book that I wrote and it was, and it was called Recovering Racism behind me um, coming out of the story. So that's really the Mm -hmm. story of coming out of that um, or being awakened to the idea that you are not the good person in the story. Wow. So how do we liberate the oppressor, right? How do I find liberation as an oppressor in this story, right? It's Mm. not my only identity, but for me, it was a huge part of my identity. As a person of faith, as a follower of Jesus, for me, that was was the direction my story compelled me to go into, Hmm. right? So, yeah. Hmm.
3: Was
1: there any kind of moment, do you remember looking back going, like that moment of realization, or was it kind of a slow series of things? How did you get to
2: the place realizing that? Right. Um, so there were there were really two very two very specific things that happened. The first was my dad was a German teacher, and he took a group of our students, I was studying German with him at the time in high school, to Germany. And he took us to a concentration camp, to Dachau. Mm. Yeah. And you know we were on this lovely summer trip through yeah. Germany, <laughs> mm-hmm. and this one day we're walking through these black iron gates, yeah. and we're entering a completely different story, right? Yeah. Which is the history. And I remember we all, the whole group, just got quiet, and you know you're you're really trying to make sense, but which you can't um, yeah. make sense of what had happened and. And I remember standing in the gas chambers and thinking, how can people be so cruel to each other?
3: Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not realizing the irony,
2: the irony of where I was coming from and what was happening in my own country. That. Wow. Right. So I went home to South Africa with this, you know, kind of with this awakened sense of people can be very there is evil in this world we can be really cruel to each other but how can we do that that is awful right and then read a book I went to the library one day at the time things were starting to open up in South Africa during apartheid during the height of apartheid everything anybody any person any voice any book any any media outlet that criticized the apartheid government got banned Mm. Right. Yeah. Um. Or like something like Nelson Mandela was put into jail. Right. right. Um. So any kind of liberation voices were were silenced. Um. But books were starting to get unbanned because of pressure, international pressure, um, internal pressure. Right. From from inside the country as well. Right. When you have a black majority population, and a white minority who is upholding a, a political system, like you know, you can imagine. Um. The amount of violence that requires to sustain that, right? Right, yeah. right yeah. So things were starting to crumble and books were starting to get unbanned. And so here I was, white girl living in this town, fairly oblivious and, and not, not oblivious, but not really understanding, right? And I walk into the library and um, there was this turnstile and it had, and it said recently unbanned books, oh, <laughs> which that's, the that's tempting right yeah. there. Right. Like, of course you're going to like, that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Oh, let's see what's there. And uh, I was like, this is the library, right? It's a safe place. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I pulled up a book, uh, pulled up a book off the shelf and it was called a dry white season. And it really told the story of, um, apartheid in a way that I had not seen or understood it mm. and I remember closing that book and it was like my worldview my understanding of who I was in the world of what it meant to be an Afrikaner person yeah had been shattered like it crumbled kind of your identity formation your person yeah,
3: yeah.
2: who yeah. you are in the world am yeah. because I was like Oh, we had created this. Um, but I, that I still feeling, thought, oh, well, I'm, yeah. It's like an existential
0: person. like shakeup.
2: Yes. Yeah. I know I was about 16. Wow. Yeah. So really, and, and so it was, for me, it was, everything was connected, right? So my church, my school, government, so people I've been told, these are the good people, right, right? So we would go to church every Sunday but it was the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa that had upheld or created theology to, to sustain apartheid mm-hmm. yeah because
0: you have to have a theology yeah. to sustain something like that
2: yeah right you have to So yeah. church was like no I'm like disillusioned with church
3: mm-hmm.
2: um school we had studied a very particular <laughs> history uh, we had never been learned we'd never been taught to question anything um and I was like it was an all-white school right now you're like, what um all white church all white school lived in an all white neighborhood um i've i felt very angry and disillusioned um with faith with leadership particularly with leadership i was like who are these leaders who are you know you trust leaders and then this is what happens right and so i was felt very disillusioned and angry and i was like i'm done i'm done with church done with this god and done with leadership kind of idea, right? I went to university and Mm -hmm. um, kind of just try to figure out who I was in the world, right? But it was only when I I went to Taiwan actually um, and worked and lived there, I worked as a journalist in Taiwan, that I discovered that the Jesus who had created that that church was a white Jesus and it wasn't the true Jesus, right? And so I encountered a, a very different Jesus in Taiwan Thankfully. Um, and so that then became part of my liberation, starting kind of picking up the pieces and kind of gathering the fragments of the, all of the shattering, right? Because um, I just was like, I was done, you know? Um, and so bit by bit, piece by piece, thread by thread, starting to kind of pick up and chase really after liberation. Right, like okay, what is it? I felt so stuck. I felt really ashamed. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, There was a there was a a a very big moment in my story where I felt really deep shame, understanding that you know, when the United Nations calls this a crime against humanity, Mm -hmm. yeah, that we had committed that crime, and I understood my place in the story as part of the collective, right? Even um, to distinguish between the individual responsibility and the collective responsibility, yeah, and so. I really identified with the collective responsibility.
3: Hmm.
2: And I didn't know how to reconcile or to get reconciled with that. I didn't know how to do that, but I knew there was a different way. I didn't, I knew I wasn't meant to be stuck in shame my yeah. whole life. Right. Yeah. That's good. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, how did you move from the place of feeling stuck, feeling maybe ashamed and all these things to actually being activated or empowered to do something, to write a book, to, get involved in the work that you're in. I mean, that's a big, that's a big shift.
2: Yeah, I mean, so all in all this, I mean, that was, I was in the mid nineties, right? So like, this has been a long journey. So yeah, I, you know, I say that people ask how long did it take you to write the book? I'm like 30 years. Yeah, right, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) right. Um, So honestly, it was just following the crumbs, like, oh, waking up in the morning, like, oh, I'm really stuck in this area. I can't I feel so stuck what do we do here God like um what is this connected to and honestly time after time um whether I was journaling or in, in in prayer time right um this was was taken back to the story of apartheid and kind of like started learning our connectedness to each other and so when we put these chains on others we are also being chained yeah and so when you confine others, right, which we literally did mm. with laws, there was a confinement in my soul. Mm. And so I was really trying to find how do I break out of this confinement? And so it was just literally paying attention to how, what was I feeling in my body and in my emotions and then my, like what was coming up in my prayer time and in my journals, right? Um, At the time, like in 1999, I moved to Canada. I'd fallen in love with a Canadian, mm-hmm. <laughs> moved across the world again. Quite a <laughs> shift. <laughs> right. Um, and so, I, I, my, you know, I say that in 1994, I got to vote in the first democratic elections and political freedom came to South Africa at the time. But for me, my long walk to freedom really started then. Nelson Mandela wrote the book about the long walk to freedom for the Mm -hmm. people of South Africa. Right. Mm -hmm. But for me as a white person in that context, it was only after that election truly that I felt like I needed to, I was starting my walk. Mm -hmm. I didn't find people who were talking about it. I was, I was hungry to talk about it. I was hungry to figure out what have we done? Like, how do we, how do we make sense of this? How do you, um, how do you deal with this? And honestly, like white people were not talking about it. Wow. Um, and so, a friend told me, like in the early 2000s, you need to read the, um, the Archbishop Desmond Tutu's book, mm-hmm. "No Freedom Without Forgiveness,"
3: mm-hmm.
2: and that book was such a grace and a gift to me, because wow. um, he talked about Ubuntu, and Ubuntu is mutuality and our connectedness to each other. Yeah. And I didn't understand why I as a white person was so connected to apartheid. Why did I keep wanting to talk about apartheid? Why was it coming up every morning? I would find God and I would be talking about apartheid. I'm like, oh, we're back here again, God, like what is happening? And um, I didn't understand why that was. And because of Desmond Tutu and his graciousness, I realized because we are so connected to each other, Mm And he specifically talked about, and he and he was referencing a movie, um, in his book, and he talked about the chains. And he said, uh, "What white people didn't know is that when we, um, we put black people in chains, and we we're in the ditch together."
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and so, when the white person is trying to get out of the ditch, we're still chained.
1: That's right.
2: And yeah. so, it's unless we <clears throat> do this work, together, we have to get rid of our chains. Mm. Um, and so it's it's different work, right? Um, but I, but I found my liberation as I started then listening to the, to the voices of people like Desmond Tutu, um, and other Black liberation voices, right? Yeah. Um, indigenous voices, indigenous women, who, yeah, who, who know about liberation, right? I didn't know anything about liberation. I'm I was just I'm just learning. I'm still learning, right? Mm.
3: Yeah.
0: It's um. It's interesting the way you described it because it, it this kind of process of liberation and transformation can't be like in your head. It can't be ideological. It has to be so embodied. And for you to go to Dachau and uh, yeah. we went on our one year wedding anniversary um, to that same concentration camp. And I remember just that oh. like it's such an embodied like radical experience. Yes. And it's so easy because we're so removed and it's so obviously yeah. evil. But even as we talked to the people in the town nearby there, they claim they didn't even know it was there and it was in their own town, you know, it's yeah. just in the outskirts yeah. and you go, how can that even be possible? And then you start to connect it and then a lot of the ideology comes along the way, but it, it requires such a radical, like, that's such an existential shift to, to go from, part of the collective oppressive movement to suddenly recognizing you are the bad guy in the story. I've, I've had a, a number of those experiences and it is <laughs> such a shocker.
1: Just so disorienting. Yeah. It is.
0: yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Right? Wait. Yeah,
2: I mean. And so liberating. Yeah. Because it's liberating. the truth. <laughs> yes. Right, and the truth and will set you free, you right? Do, right, and as you do the work, yeah. I felt like I was, I was, I was building muscle and a capacity that I did not have before. Mm. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I for me, if, I think becoming like, and I don't know if I was doing it intuitively, but I just knew I had to go to these places of pain.
3: Mm.
2: I think because of that Dachau experience. Um, so going to Robben Island, I just had to go to where Nelson Mandela had been kept in prison and yeah. I had to see his cell, right? And that was a, another profound experience, right? Oh. Um, just another land, the land was speaking to me, like just, I, I couldn't set my foot. The minute I got off the boat and onto Robin Island and I, and even just talking about it, I feel like, um, There was just, it was like, I don't dare set my foot here unless I repent.
3: Mm.
2: And so like, <clears throat> Thankfully, people were kind of already walking towards where the, the kind of the tour was. But I literally sank to my knees and just begged forgiveness. And, mm, and, and just I, I just couldn't walk on that land knowing who I was and what happened there in the context of all of that. Right. Like it was just, yeah, it, the land was also speak. You we know, also talking about embodied yeah. experiences, embodied, like places yeah. of pain. Tell us stories. Yeah. yeah, absolutely.
1: I've heard people say things like, "You know," you, I like how you said the communal um, versus the individual kind of ownership of what happened. But I've heard people say things like. that was in our past or like we shouldn't have to feel guilty about things that we weren't a part of like I didn't do that I didn't put people in chains you know I wasn't actively participating I was just a kid or I just was you know part of a system or whatever what would you say to that sort of kind of rhetoric
2: well I think there's a moment where you come to realize you were a part of that just by the mere fact that if you were born in a white skin Mm-hmm. And born into, what well, people don't like the word privilege, but it is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and you can say you didn't maybe actively participate in that, but how was the system set up to benefit us, right? For me, as a white Afrikaner kid growing up in South Africa, I got, every day when I went to school, the government had um, assigned more money towards my education than to a Black person's education. So I might not have said anything racist. Right. I might even have stood up for somebody, but simply by going to school, I was already privileged. Yeah. And that's not taking into account a whole other slew of things where, yeah. Um, and so um, I think really interrogate those things as well, right? Not just. Did I say something racist, or did my people create it? I think it's really important mm. to ask ourselves where does my story, and my family story, intersect with racism. Mm.
0: That's a good question.
2: Yeah. And and I, I and often I'm noticing people um, when you ask them, so you know, tell them what what is your family story, right? It's hard for people if if we're white to kind of um, trace those roots because yeah. they're like, well. I'm just, I'm, I'm American or I'm Canadian or, um, but to, I think the work of tracing those roots is part of doing the work as well. And that's one of the things I've learned from, especially from indigenous women, um, just, and so how we name ourselves, Hmm. right, Um, where we come from. Um, I've been learning about ways of naming in New Zealand, the Maori people have have really, uh, taught a new zealand society and i'm like i'm just learning so i I need to i need to do more learning but um people are telling their story of how they arrived in new zealand on which boat wow literally starting to name the boat and so i went and looked so which airplane did i arrive with on right (laughs) in in canada (laughs) you know um and you know just naming that as part of my story yeah um I like to name myself as, as you know, I was born, um, you know, in Parl and I'm held by the Drakenstein mountains.
3: Mm.
2: You know, it's kind of naming yourself in relation to the mountains or to the ocean or things yeah. like that too. And I think that's so powerful and it, it helps to ground you in your identity in more than just whiteness. Yeah, right? when it
1: changes the script so much, especially for people who have like, if we're in America, we're all immigrants except for well, the indigenous yeah. people you know so right. i think right. that helps flip the script a little bit too to be like yeah um whose land it, is this <laughs> and right anyway.
2: yeah and, and it is i think if there is guilt why is there guilt guilt usually just a. It's usually an indicator of something's wrong yeah right but when we when we when there's guilt so Um, then we have to see okay why is there guilt why why do I feel guilty about something and then what do I need to make right right? Mm -hmm. what is it you can't make we can't make right the whole of society but as an individual then we can say what is my responsibility as an individual right as part of the story so for me it was about for me restitution and repair very started with the education Mm -hmm. so how can I now give back to education in South Africa, for mm. example? Right? Um, so that's that's a very personal thing. Yeah. Um, I d- there's one caution I just want to. Um, sometimes when we do, and I, and I made this mistake, when we realize, oh, dear, I am part of this large story of oppression or of hurting people, um, and it's a communal story, what we want to do is we want to apologize or repent to another individual. Mm. Mm. So we kind of run up so and and awesome johnny brown talks about this in her book i'm still here as well mm-hmm. so I, I would really recommend reading that too and she talks about she was speaking uh, she was speaking and um afterwards she had this huge lineup of people lining up to talk to her and how person after person after person was repenting to her oh man uh, and she became this priest to their um confession to their <laughs> confessions and she's like this is not mine to carry. No, no I did not all. sign up for this, oh, man. right? And so we do, we make this thing where we do, we confuse the individual and the collective. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's room for the collective repentance. It has to be done very carefully and communally and in relationship, right? But the individual repentance, I would say, if you had harmed somebody personally, if you had harmed somebody, absolutely, that's where we go, make it right. Right. But if there is some if you were a part of the collective guilt and experience and oppression, we can we can start by making that right in the privacy of our own room. Right. Mm-hmm. In our own quiet times, um, in those. Um, that's where it starts. Right. Um, and so don't take that collective guilt to an individual. Yeah,
0: right? yeah. That makes sense. I like, I like that <clears throat> distinction. There's also such a interesting distinction in, in places where racism has taken root in whiteness, like you're describing. So, like the it's it's such a stark um, reality in South Africa, where you're from, because of apartheid and because of yeah. like we we visited um, with some friends um, some churches years ago and it's it's like so clear when you're when you're there and it's a you feel it it's like a weight it's a presence it was
1: then so unsettling and so it was just so in your face you know to us yeah. as outsiders it's like
0: whoa but yeah. here where we live in america it's like it's transformed so many times in so many ways and that it, it is like subtly embedded itself into the laws and into society in ways that people just wildly keep denying, you know? And then the right. way that it gets subtly embedded into like the theology in the,
2: right. the church. And or, I would say subtle for white people, maybe. Right. right, right. That's what I mean. I think those who who are on the unreceding end of that, for them, it's not necessarily so subtle. Right. right. Yeah. yeah,
0: that was the wrong right. word.
2: No, right. no, no, I'm yeah. just like, yeah, I hear you. I hear what you're saying, right? So, But to become aware of that. Um the shape shifting, right? That's of a better this, way to say it. The shape shifting of how racism embeds itself into society, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, when you I, I don't know, have you have you ever been to the Equal Justice Institute's uh, museum Mm-mm. in Montgomery?
3: No.
2: I would highly recommend it. It is one of the most powerful places. And the ways they have the way they have laid out the museum, you watch the shape shifting
3: oh. of racism.
2: Really? Wow on the North American continent, right? And especially in the US context. I stood there and I just thought this was, I mean, I, I, um, Brian Stevenson is brilliant. You could yeah. see his political mind, uh, his, um, his legal mind behind this too, right? But obviously, this the, a lot of people worked on that. But just to watch, to see transatlantic slavery um, and then slavery in the U.S., then the Jim Crow, then the the um, school to prison pipeline. Mm. Um, now, uh, black bodies on the street, right? Um, yeah. The shape shifting of it, and you're like, mm. "Whoa!" It, yeah. I'm. I'm just yeah. Um. It's it is it is a it is astounding, and you cannot deny it standing there because you literally watch it play out through history, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, so it's almost, it's, it's the same thing you were describing when you come to terms with it at home when you were 16 to really become aware of that and move out of the ignorance into actual reality is such a devastating, like wake up. And then to discover even like the American church's participation and, um, complicit nature at times and also direct nature at times and Mm -hmm. a lot of that shape-shifting and it's like such a overwhelming there's just a lot of grief in it you know yeah
2: yeah um when i was when i was i was driving when i was driving down to montgomery i i I drove on myself um i was I, i flew into into um uh georgia and, um, and then we were in Tennessee for a funeral and then drove down to Montgomery. And I was listening to Jamar Tisby's book mm-hmm. as I was driving and about the complicity oh, of man. the church. Yep. And I was like, oh, it w- in that context, it was so powerful yeah. to so do that. Powerful. I bet. And like driving into Birmingham and like, I just listened to him talk about, you know, the four girls um, and the bombing and, and like, it, it just, and then, and, yeah, it just, it was really, a yeah, powerful experience to do that. Um, so when did yeah. you kind of wake up with from <laughs> your... <on? laughs> when did you have your awakening? Is it okay yeah. if I turn the tables a little? Yeah, <laughs> sure.
0: Um, <laughs> I grew up in the South. I grew up in Texas. We're in California now. And so um, it was a much more present reality. I was never um, ignorant of it of, of, okay. it's just, I grew up in South Texas, so like okay. racism is just very real and whiteness and all, all, all of these things. And, uh, okay. yeah, so I, I don't, my awakening was more of, uh, um, my friend took me to the CCDA conference in okay. 2019 and, yeah. um, I've told this story, I think in a different episode yeah, of our podcast, okay. but it like, <clears throat> we were there learning about a lot of justice things and, and ways to get involved. And it was actually was in Texas. And what shocked me, cause I was a pastor of a church at the time here in California. And I'd always had this mindset of like, the local church is the hope of the world. And, you know, we're making all things mm-hmm. new and, um, we're, you know, defeating whatever injustice. Evil in the world, or healing, or renewing, and uh, the each speaker at this conference, not intentionally, it wasn't like a conference about this, but everyone brought a history of their thing, whether they were talking about immigration or whether they were talking about um, the death penalty or whether they were talking about racism or whether like what anything, and all of them involved like a history of how a lot of the current realities that exist now actually birthed out of like church Christian involvement, like creating it, and then are the very things that are sustaining it as well and how that's tied up into particular political ideologies and how it's all like one thing. And I had this shocking moment where I connected all the dots at the end of this conference and I said, oh man, we we actually started all of this and we're the thing that upholds it. And then I realized, oh, if we were to try to, like, defeat evil, we'd actually have to, like, defeat ourselves in the world. And then it was, like, a real shocker because it was more of an awakening to the American church's participation right. in it. And then right. I started, like, reading a lot more. And yeah. um, Jamar Tisby's book exploded yeah. in my mind. Yeah, Because right? the, the way he, he threads that together with a few others, right. and, and it was like, a, um,
2: yeah.
0: yeah, that was like a rug got pulled out, you know? And you just think,
2: yeah. "Whoa,
0: now what?" You know, and, and then we no, what? Where do we go from here? Well, we started talking yeah. about it as a church, <clears throat> and people started getting like really
3: upset. Yeah.
0: Our people would say, like, some people were like, "I'm so glad we're talking about this," but other people, or other leaders in the area, would be like, "That's very dangerous. You can't talk about these things. Right. It's very political, right. or it makes me uncomfortable." And it was like,
2: yeah. "How
0: yeah. fun?" Like, it was the whole thing was like a, it was a shocker to say the yeah. least, you know, and yeah. so then you, you start to watch the way that's played out over the last eight years, to the political cycles, and all the things that have happened, right. and you,
2: yeah,
0: there's, yeah, I think, there's a lot of people that are recognizing that, and, um, I don't want to overstate it, but I think people are, um, the the guy that used to be the, I'm going to blank on his name right now. It's Southern Baptist Convention, one yeah. of the leaders of the the, the the denomination stepped out over all that stuff, yes. and, and he yes. ended up yeah. saying publicly that he's seeing tons of people leave the church, not because they don't have faith, but actually because they do. Yes.
2: And, and <laughs> you want to follow a different Jesus, right? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what you yeah. said.
0: And so I think, I think a okay. lot of people are waking up to it, to that reality, and wanting to yeah. shape a different story, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah absolutely
1: yeah and I think there was a a different ownership around that time for both of us that w- it was like what are the ways that we are benefiting from this yeah and okay. so that was a different yeah. lens for me to think about oh wait I might not be actively racist but I am benefiting in all kinds of ways in my entire life and it again, already kind of aware of that to a degree, but just eyes wide open. It was just a different thing. It kind of felt like this, like Phil said, when I think the flip for us, when we realized that the church was not only participating in systems of injustice, but actually upholding it to the point where it's the thing that's helping it keep going. And we were just like, that cannot be. And, um, and then that starts to bring up all kinds of questions, more questions, more questions. and But, right. yeah, I think for us it's – and I don't, I I'd love to hear what you think about this, but when I look at the scriptures and I look at Jesus, I'm like, yeah, this is – Jesus was – oh, man, just for those in – for the oppressed, for those in the margin, <laughs> And so – it was this weird thing where you realize that the, the system of the church really isn't about mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, not in every way. I'm not going to just paint the whole it, yeah. broad stroke. Okay. But like in so many yeah. ways, isn't about what Jesus is about. And yeah. that was
3: big
0: portions of it. Yeah.
1: Just yeah. A, a thing to grieve and, and move through and when also go, it doesn't have to be this way, you know? Yeah. yeah.
0: But it's, it's like you said, for that kind of oppression to exist requires both violence as well as like some sort of divine theological like underpinnings and interconnections. It just, it always seems to, to work that way for power to, to have that kind of control, you know?
2: Right. Like just how you, how you tell the story. Yep. Yeah, right. so- the narrative, the narrative, uh, the theological narrative, maybe that you. That you use to to justify yeah
1: yeah
2: your work right
1: yeah yeah so how were you able to come back around you said you kind of threw threw it all out at one point how are you able to reconcile again your faith and all of it yeah how you, you get evolved how has it evolved this? yeah and your view of jesus your view of you know this is another yeah. small question for you
2: yeah right <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> um so taiwan um i met a group of women i showed up at a women's breakfast. it was called a women's power breakfast power and, uh, power yeah a yeah, power <laughs> breakfast it was it was just fabulous and <laughs> anyway so um but what i i met was a was a different jesus and i think at the time i also learned um you know, ironically, I, I picked up a book called "Experiencing God," right? Like in this yeah. side of the Baptist mm-hmm. denomination, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, Old school, but it right, but it was so powerful for me at the time, and it was like mm. this very. Um, I actually learned how to hear from God, right? Like how to have a how to have a relationship with God, right? Mm. And um, made mistakes, and kind of, um, I guess I'm a bit of a mystic, right? Um, and so and just learning to kind of just go for it um, and follow and follow the spirit, I guess. Um, and then you know, made big shifts. like moving to Canada was a huge a leap of courage right but I trusted God so so deeply because um, I mean I hardly hardly knew my husband at the time but it was you know (laughs) I I mean I don't necessarily recommend it (laughs) 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 but but it was it was absolutely the right thing um but I think you just you do the things and you walk and you realize oh God is here God is here in this place right um and then I think I just as I was learning who God was and who God was not, right? Yeah. Because I had such a clear picture of who God was not. I knew what God felt like. Um I knew I knew what it felt like to follow the God, the white God in South Africa. Mm. It felt small, it felt tight, it felt it was white, right? Mm. It wow. was, it was, it yeah. it didn't feel free, it didn't feel it didn't feel like me it didn't feel like the fullness of myself could could be or would be accepted right it didn't feel like wholeness it didn't feel like love um it felt like performance hmm. and it felt like uh earning right and it felt like not talking about the real things um and i didn't want anything to do with it. i wanted to so I started tasting the God who feels like wholeness and who feels like peace and Beautiful. Uh, justice. You, you know, I think voting in that democratic elections that day was another powerful, um, very bodily experience as well. Yeah, um, because we were lining up for hours to vote oh, in really, that election, wow. and I and I always talk about we, we we were lining up, we were waiting for hours to vote, but people had waited a lifetime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. to vote in that election right and so they were willing to wait for hours right i've seen pictures of that i remember reading about that right but i remember the women standing in front of me and the sun was shining and they were singing and dancing and i felt it and i felt the freedom Hmm. i felt the sense of peace of largeness of expansiveness and i was like this is what i think life is meant to taste like i think this is how it's meant to feel in your body and how the space is between us when it's right and it's just and it's whole and it's good. This is how it's meant yeah. to feel like. Yeah. And that is what I went looking for.
1: Mm.
2: And when when that isn't there, then we have work to do. Yep. Right? Yeah. So that's, that's what I chased after. And so- That's um, so well said. Yep. Right?
1: I love how you're- talking about oh sorry no go for it just being in you keep referencing like being in your body that's something we've been talking about a lot of just not separating out our spiritual lives from our physical lives and then that connectedness with one another you know it's it's such a huge part of our spirituality and our faith it's right we're all one we're all one
2: body you know right and when one part of the body hurts yeah right like and what it does that really do to the does. larger body, yeah. right? Yeah, and and then also when the when we heal that part, when we heal parts, it also affects the whole body, right? When we, yeah. So I mean, we have so much work to do, we but do, there's. Yeah. I also believe in that. Like I, I've also seen those major shifts happen.
1: Yeah,
2: it's happening, right?
1: Slowly, <laughs>
2: and it's happening, right?
1: It is. Yeah.
0: no, it is.
2: Um, in the intro of
1: your book, we read we read some of your book, and can I can I go ahead and quote some of it? right now? Sure. You say, um, as a white woman talking about race and racism, I don't see any way forward without addressing money. I do this at the risk of appearing performative. My hope is that the transparency rather than performative allyship is what remains. As we move forward, I'll be referring to other examples of restitution in our conversations, so we may inspire each other toward change. To that extent, 90% of the author income, that's you, (laughs) Um, From this project will be donated to restitution in South Africa, anti-racism work in the United States, and reconciliation efforts in Canada. The other 10% is for the part of me that is a woman, also on a liberation journey out of patriarchy, who is finally learning that her worth and words have value. And first of all, I think it's incredible and just so telling of who you are, which we're getting to know right now, um, that you're donating the 90% of the profits from your book, Towards Restitution and Reconciliation. Um, I'm really interested in this 10% <laughs> yeah. in what you said about that. Uh, so you saying that line, just that you're learning that your work has value coming out of a patriarchy, you know, especially South Africa, we saw that as well. I mean, especially in the churches. I mean, we really experienced, I experienced that firsthand. Um, Phil spoke over there and it was very much, you know, Phil, <laughs> yes. and it was, everything yes. was directed to him and turns uh, out we're a team. So that was really, it was shocking to me, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Pastor's wife but, is,
0: a, is a, is a role.
3: <laughs>
1: yes. The wife. Yeah. Um, yeah. but can you talk about that yeah. journey a bit coming out of patriarchy and how you've, how you're learning to own that and your voice and your value and your worth and.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry I have dogs coming in here I'm so sorry <laughs> you're fine um, sorry just um I, I'm sorry I'm recording Scott we can't do that I'm so sorry oh you're <laughs> fine thanks
1: absolutely we understand we have kids coming in and out door slamming right now in the background too. So
2: sorry, this is my husband trying to do a very good thing, but in, ah. in the process he's trying to bring me a coffee. Oh And I'm like and I'm like but he's they, they, all the dogs came with him and they no, And so I'm really sorry. Don't <laughs> be, don't be. I love it. What a gift. I was like, what a oh, husband. I he is a wonderful, wonderful. It's true person. love. Yeah. Um so um okay. Ooh, patriarchy yeah you feel it when you walk in South Africa right you do and yeah. um so oh sorry love. <laughs> he's he's not, can you close the door please thank you <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> about that. he's not usually home when, when I record it. <laughs> so he's not Great. so used to no having a having a boundary there anyway <laughs> oh. <laughs> um okay so patriarchy in South Africa, oh, my worry there was another layer. I think in understanding, what just trying to figure out what why this was so hard and weird and um, oppressive, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's deeply it's deeply embedded in the society, and, and and in fact, you see it in one of the highest rates of gender violence against women in the world. Wow. Yeah, the um, yeah, it's it's not a safe place for a woman. In, um, yeah, n- I yeah. Yes, you can feel. We, that. we experience that as well, and so, mm. um, y- you know, I'm I'm still kind of undoing that piece, and even like in uh, uh and I think my first my first area of liberation really was around this. Mm. Um, I started um. I, well, the first book i wrote actually was with my mother-in-law and she was asked to write a prayer journal against uh, to to awaken awaken the church around the, the this the state of women in the church and this was in the early 2000s it was before 9-11 and um and i was a journalist at the time and my mother-in-law asked me to be part of the project and i was like why should i write about violence against women and and, and um and i guess gender apartheid right yeah. And I didn't see it at the time like that, but I, so I went and said, okay, let me just, let me just go and let me just go reflect. Let me talk to God really. And let's just see what's going on here. And and do I need to be a part of this project? And um, I remember I was reading story after story and and my whole desk was full of stories from around the world um, that tell that said, that told a larger story of how women were being silenced, or were actually being taken away, or removed out of society, or being constricted or confined. Um, and, and I remember I was so I was so aware of apartheid and of God's heart for justice for 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 anti racism. But I remember sitting with these stories of women, I realized, oh my. Um, God love you know I when I was reading that for I the Lord loved justice for I God love justice and I was like oh my word this is injustice you know whether all the different ways that women have been silenced or, or hurt or violated or abused and just the extent of it was so uh, it was overwhelming right so I just knew we had to start doing something and so we wrote that prayer journal on just mobilizing prayer, um, and they took it to the World Evangelical. Uh, um, what was it called? W. Uh, I, uh, was the Evangelicals kind of uh, what do you call it? The group or whatever. I you know I can't remember World Evangelical Society or something. I, I can't remember. Sorry. Yeah. She was she was really involved in that and I, and um, um, and I just and I just realized. If one in four women, and, and those numbers might have changed, but um, was abused, that this was also injustice, and and then I was noticing how women were not preaching right in the U.S. and, the, and then the whole story of of um, headship and and, yeah. and and I think that kind of made a feminist out of me, right? Because really mm-hmm. my theology when I saw the like how that theology had silenced women
3: mm-hmm. and had
2: created this avenue for violence against women. I realized this is not God's heart,
3: yeah.
2: yeah, right. And so that's part of why we started She Loves because we realized all these women's voices are missing. Yep, Good from for the you. church. Thank you for
1: doing that from our
2: world, and we wanted to mobilize women's voices, right, and kind of just give women an avenue, a platform to tell their stories, kind of build their voices. Like if you were a person preaching week after week after week after week on a platform, you get better. Yep, right. <clears throat> But or if you're better. a woman and now you have to show up and you get one opportunity, mm-hmm. maybe once on a year, Mother's day, <laughs> on Mother's Day, you're not getting better. Right. Yeah. Um, you, and totally. you have to like do it in such a way that you can found this whole church. You have to earn your place. And right. And so there's this, um, there was this, that's what's part of we wanted to create this platform and this place where people could just tell their stories, get better, right. Um, clear your thoughts, understand what, what you're actually thinking. Right. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, it's been, that's been a long journey too. Right. Uh, So I, and then, I mean, I was really involved in the whole idea of sisterhood and um, because of believing in our connectedness to it, where justice is threaded through here. So if my sister in Uganda or my sister in Afghanistan or my sister in the Ukraine or, or my sister in Russia or wherever, if they're, whatever they're experiencing, we're connected to each other. I was really understand like really, um, I don't know, I'm moved by that and my understanding growing up in South Africa is, is shaped by that, right? Um, but then I realized I couldn't write about sisterhood until I'd write, written about how and why I believe in a specific kind of sisterhood, right? Or, and, and, and I, in and that word is now like, it's, it's, it's not a word that I love anymore because I feel it's a little bit, um, we have work to do there as well, mm. but um, yeah, so it's 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 been a long journey of just understanding that my voice has value. My I have a place in this world, right? Yeah. Um, and that is okay to to earn to earn you know money for our work, right? Um, and, and that that has worth, right? And so just understanding a little bit of that concept, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all liberation work, right? It all, and yeah, it's it all, all liberation is. work, and just being where—where am I stuck? And just going, moving in that, in, moving in that direction, right? Yeah.
0: yeah, I love that. So many of us get stuck and then just stay stuck, <laughs> or yeah. stay overwhelmed, or <laughs> right, spin guilty, out, or um, yeah. avoid or yeah. cope, and rather right, where am I stuck?
2: Mm-hmm. yeah move towards it yeah yeah <laughs> I, I love that. and but the, but that remind but it requires humility i think yeah
0: oh yeah it's a death yeah.
2: right it's a death and it's a beginning as well yeah, yeah. it's a resurrection
0: right? yeah
2: mm. yeah so yeah
0: that is why i even with all of my frustration with all that stuff that i learned about the church or whatever that i'd never i can't let go of christ because it's Death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. From death always comes life. Yeah. And that's always the center of the story.
2: Yeah. Yes. I know. There's, uh, yes. Mm. <laughs> the movement of that is so profound, right? That like this is how I can sit here, have this conversation with you, right?
1: Right.
2: How can God take, I mean, how can I have a title like this? We <laughs> 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 have a title like this. Yeah.
0: It's beautiful. And yet
2: God says, Yes, you're a recovering racist, and you're beloved.
3: Mm.
2: Right? It's there's this is a death, but there's also a liberation in as we acknowledge this, and as we do the work, and as we become part of creating a different world for everyone.
3: Yeah, yeah. that's
1: good. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Um, I think this. We've been leaving. Each episode on this question with our guest, um, I think it leads kind of right into it, but what is giving you hope right now? And it can be anything. I mean, it doesn't have to be like what we were just talking about (laughs) Jesus and resurrection. It could be something little, but what's giving you hope. Yeah.
3: Uh,
2: You know, I'm a fairly hopeful person. I'm going to, I'm fairly hopeful. Um, I think because I grew, I see. I have a long view of the world. I think because I grew up in apartheid. I saw Mm -hmm. it, I was in the middle of it and I saw it crumble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I saw that oppression and injustice does not remain, right? That God is faithful and God remains. I saw the Bernal Mole crumble. Mm -hmm. We saw that, right? Yeah. Um, And I saw History kind of telling us a story of um evil, it it, in the end it it gets shown sometimes it takes a long time, right? Um, and unfortunately, people get hurt, and and um, there's consequences when we have when we when we make decisions, right? I think, um, that was one of the hardest things for me is like, um. I'd rather a part had never happened, right? Like I, the, the pain that we have caused, right? Yeah. Um so when when people made decisions to do that, there were there were we had caused so much pain, right? Mm-hmm. So I one of the things that I, I said to God was like, you know, what do um you no, know, how what do I do with this? Like what do um I'm just like I was so disillusioned, right? And and, and th- th- this was the sense that you know, people mess up, but my purposes remain, right? Mm-hmm. And there are consequences. And then we have to move through those consequences and learn how to, how do we, how do we make right, right? How can we, we, we can't make it right. In, in fact, you know, I, Kathy Kong talks about irreparable harm, right? Like we have to also sit with the fact that we have done irreparable harm. And I look at somebody like, the, like the archbishop desmond tutu who at the end of his life you know here's a man who had walked through the most awfulness and had experienced the most awful racism and yet when he could laugh yeah mm-hmm. yep he laughed from such a pure mm-hmm. childlike joyful place and i think i think that gives me hope mm-hmm. right those things that we don't like, I don't know, a long view.
1: Yeah.
2: And those liberation leaders who can laugh like that, who can, who can, who show us the way of joy. Yeah.
1: Right? Joy and suffering can like exist side by side is such a
2: beautiful paradox, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then just small things like, you know, playing with my dogs or walking in the forest and, you know, I don't know. A good meal sitting at the table. Good cup of coffee
0: from your husband. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, you're amazing. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, I really enjoyed having this time with you. Um, Your book is Recovering Racists, just came out. The subtitle is Dismantling White Supremacy and Reclaiming Our Humanity. And I'm assuming it can be found everywhere. Books are purchased. Um,
2: yes yes yeah and so, i have a list on my website italy.com um there's yeah. a list of places people can people order as well but you know it's like on all those the places where, where people find books
0: Fantastic. <laughs> pretty much
2: there yeah that's wonderful
0: and we'll okay. put you. Um, all that in your show notes and in, in our show notes as well thank so people you. can just link
2: to it yeah thank you so much thank you for having me it's been a real joy to sit with you and feel your gentle spirit and just your also the work that you're doing right mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Once you've been shattered, right? <laughs> like, <"Whoa."> yep. Yeah. <laughs> what do we do with this,
1: right? Yep. Then yeah. the rebirth.
3: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah.
1: you so much for your time. So such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to check out our website, PhilAndJenWood.com, for coaching resources and events.
0: And if you enjoyed this, feel free to subscribe. You can even leave a review. Keep going. See you next time.